we can only get you because your schedule's otherwise being cleared by quarantine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm very available. <laughs> How many podcasts do you need? Welcome to the show, dear listeners. Well, I think there's maybe nine regular listeners that we have now. We'll see how we go after our guest tonight. It could be more. Um, so I'm Jackie and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Laura. And uh, Hello. Yeah, we have a very special guest tonight. Um, now, Rachel is Laura's friend from real life. <laughs> Do you want to <laughs> And I actually don't know very much about you, Rachel, so this is very exciting. I'm getting the full intro as well. Laura, would you like to introduce our guest? Oh, yes. Well, I have been wanting to have Rachel on the show um, since probably before its inception because she is pretty much the source of all my gardening knowledge and I feel quite fraudulent because maybe after this you can be the other host and I'll I'll (laughs) tap out. Nah. Um, yeah, but I won't. I won't introduce you, you too much. Rachel, welcome. Please. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Thanks for those prepared remarks. <laughs> <laughs> so, one thing we like to ask all the guests on our show is, what brought you to gardening? What brought me to gardening? Um, I ended up. So I did environmental science as an undergrad uh, in the cornfields of Ohio. And I worked a bunch of different jobs. And one of the ones that I was doing was I was working at a educational farm. Uh, And my job was to be in the seed house. So I was the seedling queen. Um, And it was was an awesome place. They were doing a lot of experimental things. Like they had a... Um, the greenhouse was fueled by biodiesel in partnership with uh, another wacky business downtown. Um, and they did all this interesting like natural building uh, that was on that farm. And I remember they also had a salad spinner of their salad greens for market that was like a, a reused, discarded um, laundry wash washer. And oh, they just like took everything out except the spin cycle. Yeah. So you could just wash like huge amounts of vegetables or um of greens at the same time it's pretty great anyway so it's fun working on like an experimental farm in my early 20s um and yeah I think I I ate my first tomato officially off the vine and was like "Mm, yep all right I will never go back (laughs) what a good introduction did you that's a very good origin story Yeah. yeah No, thanks. Like I, I always it. liked gardening and I did a lot of windowsill gardening and the idea that you could just put a seed into some dirt in like a yogurt tub that was reused um, just blew my mind. And so from there, it was like very easy. Once I was on a small wacky farm, it was like, oh, okay. I was just going to ask Rachel, did your family do much gardening when you were growing up or was it something that you got into as like through your studies? Um, there was some ornamental gardening happening. So there were no vegetables. There was there were some herbs, I guess. Um, and there were some really cool flowers that actually belonged to my great grandmother. Mm. Uh, so there were some irises that were, you know, like 100 years old, probably 100 plus, probably 150, wow. I would say. 
Um, and yeah, so my mom was really attached to like heirloom plants and there's some old peonies as well. Um, but yeah, no veggies, but she has these stories of being like a young woman buying her first house and planting a huge garden. Um, and that she used to do a race to pick ears of corn mm -hmm. and then chuck them on the back porch before the pot of water to cook them in on the stove boil. <laughs> so like that, you know, she has really fond memories, but now I didn't necessarily yeah. grow up with it um, in the same way. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Do you find... And so um, that's all... Oh, sorry. No, you go for it, Laura. I was making up that question on the fly. I was going to finish it. <laughs> I just wasn't sure how I was going to finish that yet. So you, you please go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I'm, I'm really interested because obviously your formative gardening experiences will have been in the US yeah. um, and that's a big place. So, you know, it's different across it. But what what are the, some of the differences you found starting a garden in Australia? Because your garden in Australia is better than most Australians' gardens. Um, so in the States, yeah, I gardened in Ohio, um both in my front yard I was really into the food not lawns movement um and then later on on the east coast but I think the things that probably prepared me the best for gardening in Australia not that I had any idea that's where I would be headed um I actually worked uh, at an alternative high school in Oregon for a year after graduating from undergrad running their um youth gardening program and then later on doing like a community supported uh, agriculture project as well with the community garden there and being in Oregon and just being in the Pacific Northwest is the most similar I can think of to being in Australia like I know we live in climate? Like, the chilliest part of Australia which is so cute the Australians think Canberra is cold um <laughs> But like the idea that you could grow a shrub that is rosemary or artichokes that would just be very happy to do their own thing um, or kale that could grow for years on end into like a little palm tree. That's just not possible on the East Coast, like where I grew up and where I ended up living later on. Um, so in Oregon, things don't necessarily like go kaput completely over winter, whereas like in Boston, it's a, an icy hellhole for like five months of the year um same in philadelphia is a little bit more mild but things still just like don't really like live over the winter unless you do a lot to baby them mm. so yeah i think that job was one of the the best and oregon is really similar in the way that you can you can keep things going year round mm. if you try or if you just like even lightly cover things with reme as they call it in the states you guys call it frost fleece but Rime is like super yeah. big in Oregon and everyone uses it to keep things going over the winter um, and grow greens and things like that. Definitely a different climate and the soil is super, super different in Oregon. But um, yeah, I think so when I came here and I kind of read, I read about the climate online before I moved here, because obviously that's what a gardener would do. Uh, and basically it was a bunch of people pissing and moaning about um, how cold it is. <laughs> It's not, it's fine. You can grow things year round. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess that, that maybe there's definitely some differences though, mm. but it wasn't. I think that's something you've really brought, I guess, by having to like learn in a harsher climate. Like I've never seen anyone use rebay or frost cloth, cloth or frost fleece. And you were just like, of course you would just cover things. Do it before the frost. I think the other thing is that it's a short 
not super hot season. Like some summers it gets really hot, but last year in Canberra, it was just pretty mild all year. So things like tomatoes and melons and peppers, like don't have as much of a chance to really get all the way to maturity unless you've started them like way back Mm -hmm. um, undercover. So yeah, I guess it was to extend, that's why it was done in Oregon usually to extend the season because certain kinds of plants it just never really gets hot enough for otherwise (laughs) it is it is interesting that we have the short season um so you managed to successfully grow a melon which is unheard of in canberra i ate some of that melon so proud (laughs) it was the most delicious tiny melon i've ever had thank you what sort of melon Um, was it like a watermelon oh it was a little, it was like a specific breed of rock melon. I can't remember what it's called, but they only grow to be like yay big, which you can't see on a podcast. So about as big as... Like a grapefruit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like grapefruit-esque, a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. But um, I grew two that were on the bigger side and one teeny tiny one. It was fine. Not as good, but still pretty good. Wow. Yeah. That's so now it's like talent. Oh, thank oh. you. <laughs> There's a lot of talent there and um, there's, yeah, in Rachel's household, there is also a great gardener and a great cook. And so the food is just next level. Yeah, yeah, I do think that's my end of the bargain is that I grow the food because I really enjoy doing it and barely know how to cook any of it. It's great. <laughs> I was going to ask you, Rachel, you mentioned before one of the differences like between even the climate in Oregon Oh, I think I'm cut out. That's all right, because I'm in the middle of talking, so you'll know. Here I am. Okay. So one of the differences between um, Oregon and Canberra, even though the climate is similar, is that the soil is really different. How is mm. it different exactly? Um, I think the soil in where I live versus even where Laura lives in Canberra is just like oh, yeah. completely different. I'm so jealous. And inner <laughs> north soil is now like completely out of my price range. But... here on the outer skirts on the rocky slopes uh it's just so much um clay and rock Mm. (laughs) whereas laura has like this beautiful like absorbent Uh, i love that you think our soil is good oh i'm so jealous so you don't even want to know about jackie's soil (laughs) I'm not going to talk. Yeah, mine's pretty. She lives by a river that, like, oh. so the soil will have been all, like, flooded oh. with silt and she just throws something down and is like, oh, I've accidentally grown a tomato in the middle of winter. Oh, like, no. you. Yeah, that sounds nice. We've done, like, a ton of amending where we are with them. Um, mm-hmm. Well, when we first moved in, I think our neighbours were like, all right, these guys are weird because we got half a truckload of horse manure delivered, like, really early on I don't even know if we have any furniture in the house yet hmm. so we've done some work it's better than it was okay. um yeah when I was in Oregon there was a guy named James Cassidy who was a soil scientist who worked at Oregon State University and often like came to work with different like I worked for the environmental center so he used to come and talk to us um, and he was a former um I don't know if you would call him a rock star but he was like a popular synth pop band in the 80s and then went into soil science 
Anyway, he would come and do these different soil lectures for the community. And basically all he would say is add organic matter. That was it. <laughs> so like any question that someone would have, it would just say add organic matter. <laughs> so I've taken that to heart. So lots of leaves, not eucalypt leaves, but citrus leaves and horse manure has helped a lot. Yeah. So you have chickens as well, the Gertrudes. Yes. Do you use them um, for their organic matter? Uh, I do. Uh, yeah, we <laughs> um, compost there. Uh, well, we clean out of the nest box and the litter box uh, or just kind of their coop. And then sometimes we'll actually like, you know, just do a cleanup of their run and move that around the garden mm. someday when I'm a homeowner, which mm, we'll see about that, uh, but maybe someday. Uh, there was this permaculture person that I knew, also in Oregon, who had like a four door coop and it could open based on the season. And he had four different gardens that were like for oh, the different wow. seasons. And he would just open the one that he wanted them to destroy and chicken tractor and till. Um, and then when that one was done, he would plant it and then open the next door on the coop. Genius. I don't know that I want to do exactly that, but someday I'd actually like to like chicken tractor certain areas. Mm. That's the dream. It was just genius. It just worked clearly so well. It is. That is absolutely genius. I'm thinking of putting the chickens on a patch that I need them to destroy. <laughs> They're just great. Um, like they take out insects that you don't want and they poop everywhere and they dig up all the roots of weeds and things that you don't want. They're just perfect little tractors. Yeah, I think that's... A really nice idea. I've been thinking of doing, we're just setting up um, fencing around our veggie patch at the moment because the ducks have decided that they actually are quite destructive and want to pull up all my seedlings. <laughs> Where previously yeah, he famously like, said, ducks don't eat seedlings. I was like, they're fine. It's been like three weeks and the lettuce seedlings are still in and they walk all over them. And then like literally the next day, I just witnessed all three of them like ripping them out. It was... Yeah. Horrifying. They were just waiting probably until they were like almost edible for humans. Yes. And destroy yeah, yeah. them quickly and enraging. No, it was it was pretty heartbreaking. They were what kind of ducks do you have? So I have um two call ducks and then one duck who we think is a runner duck, but we're not quite sure. So. I love runner ducks, the ones that just look like bowling pins. Yeah. I know I love them so much. I want to get more. We're actually collecting her eggs at the moment so that we can incubate them and hatch them out. But they'll the the eggs will obviously be a mix. I know groundbreaking, Laura. Sorry, fresh announcement. Ah, what? what? I ordered an incubator. Um, but to oh. the, these these little ducklings will be a mix of call and runner ducks. So Ooh. they'll be weird. Um, but probable. Yeah. Regard. So we'll see how that goes. They'll anyway, be like yeah. tiny bowling pins. Yeah, but I'm thinking about like sectioning off parts of the patch because ours is just like one really big long veggie patch where I can like have them get in and destroy it when I need them to and just yeah shit everywhere and eat everything that'll be that'll be all right it's all about managing the destruction yeah yes exactly because yeah. it's so useful where it when it's where you want it and it's just the worst when it's not. I know yeah so that's I think yeah that's a like a common goal for us poultry and waterfowl fans <laughs> there's also like the magpie snail eating fest that happens in the garden that I really try to encourage <laughs> they're not you know they're not my chickens but I'll take it 
sometimes they just follow me around, like waiting for me to like throw them a snail. <laughs> yeah, nice. There's one that just like I like knows that I am a snail, a thrower of snails. And kind of trail around after me. Also, <laughs> like I guess if you're digging up or weeding, like you end up flinging dirt and there's lots of nice worms. So they just see Colin or I out front and just immediately just like rock up. Like, All right, yeah. what do you have? <laughs> What's for dinner? Yeah. yeah. We have a, a similar thing with kookaburras here, I guess. Um magpies. Do you get many kookaburras in camera? Or is it more Some, of a... Yeah. Not, not in the garden. Anywhere. Yeah, that sounds way cuter than the magpies. They're a little bit terrifying. If we like, if you back onto bushland here, like you do, you'd yeah. get kookaburras, but yeah. not in the burbs so much. I used to think that kookaburras were cute until I witnessed one that had plucked a goldfish from somewhere and was beating it to death on a gum tree in our backyard. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> they're that's really so horrible. They just... <laughs> They're pretty cool, but they're not cute. <laughs> I think I had the same experience watching a magpie just like it totally eviscerate a very nice lizard in the garden. It's like, oh, oh. <laughs> stop, just eat it, stop playing with it. Right. Yeah. Um, Sorry, guys. That's fine. Let's talk about disembowelment some more. <laughs> Horse manure, chicken manure, <laughs> disembowelment, yeah, all the things that go into your garden. So, what? Of your now that we're coming into spring, maybe we should ask what your favorite spring and summer crops are. What are you excited to get going in your garden? Um, I think that uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Snow peas have a lot of personality, mm -hmm. especially as a seedling when they have like their little round leaves and their little tendrils. And when they first come out of the ground, it's like my favorite thing in the whole world. They're my favorite seedling, hands down. Um, and I have a, like up the side of the garden, it's the sunniest kind of a, you've seen it, Laura, a wall mm. that the peas grow up right now. So they're mm. about halfway up the wall at this point. And then in this like late spring, I'll tear them out and put tomatoes where they are and then kind of do vertical tomatoes up them instead. And then it's nice because the peas have already done some like nitrogen fixing and all that to make way. So that's always good. Um, when do you put them in? When do you plant the snow peas? The snow peas, so last year I planted them in spring, no, sorry, fall, mid-fall, okay. uh, and they're really big for the winter, and this year I planted them a little bit late, so they're not quite as big, mm -hmm. but yeah, just sometime in the fall and then let them overwinter, do their, do their creepy crawly thing, and then right about now they really are getting going, which is exciting, mm -hmm. so I'm just like snapping off pea shoots for salads now, which is really nice. Um, yeah, I did a bunch of seed saving last year, um, and also seed starting of tomato seeds and pepper or capsicum. Capsicum, yes. Chili seeds, so all capsicum, some hot, some, some cold. I grew my first sweet bell peppers. They were like the mini snack ones. I can never get the full-size ones to fully mature in Canberra. It's just like way too short. Um, but tons of serranos, so we couldn't find certain kinds of chilies here that are just like pretty common in the States. Mm -hmm. So I bought some seeds thinking on a lark, like, oh yeah, sure. I'll try to grow some things from seeds. And then I ended up with like 10 very happy pepper plants. So I gave us to Laura and Johnny. Um, <laughs> you gave us two and they did so well and they're nice. They, they were so beautiful, but I can't eat a lot of chili mm -hmm. and they were probably our most successful crop. And Johnny had, and they last really well as well. And Johnny just puts chili in everything now. <laughs> like last night or the other night, he made a dal. And then he's like, oh, I'll put 
put some chili in and he put three or four of the oh, serranos no. in. And I'm like, no, it's so spicy. But they do have a beautiful flavor. Yeah, they're like underneath most chilies. They've got a really round heat. They're good. Um, I love them sparingly and I love to look at them. Yeah. yeah. They are nice we looking plants. Hungarian wax that we're really happy. So those are kind of the in between. Like they're not super hot, mm-hmm. but are kind of the long bullhorn ones. Those, yeah. Those Apparently, you like it's best to grow them for two years in a row. And I didn't. Like we really thought hard about pulling them out, but apparently they mu- they do much better if you give them two years in the ground. Which again, like nowhere I've ever lived could you do that except here. But. I'll get to that eventually. that's really interesting because i don't think we've pulled ours out but Good they job. look dead like oh. they've died right back to the ground oh, i don't know I if they'll come good like, again cover them but maybe not give it a go well I, yeah we we do a lot of the no-till method because johnny constantly listens to charles doubting and like they're still i think their bases are still there so we'll see if they sprout at all yeah, could happen. I mean, my climate is so mild. I feel like I can't even chime in here, but I left my capsicums in too, and they grew capsicums over winter. So, but yeah, whatever survived my toddler being out in the garden and picking them off is still growing. So, but he, every, every, anytime they get bigger than a 20 cent piece, he's like, oh, mum, capsicum, mm, gong. <laughs> so, you have to fend off the ducks and, and the toddler. Yeah. So yeah. Well, that's that is the handicap you need for your amazing climate yeah, and yeah, yeah. soil. Fending off ducks and a toddler. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So you've got um, your peppers or capsicums, snow peas, and tomatoes that you're looking forward to growing over spring and summer. What is so? Yeah. Trying some new greens as well. So I have mabuna and mizuna. Oh yeah. Really good. I've been very happy with those. Those are other new things. What do you grow? At, what do you direct sow? And what do you start and make a seedling? And what do you ever just be like, I'm buying a seedling from the shop, the nursery? So you can just tell that like, even though I'm a young gardener, I act like a really crotchety old gardener. <laughs> I've taken your advice on direct sowing as gospel and I now give it to other people with the same look of horror when they tell me when they're I guess it's just like doing those things. could they ever possibly work if you transplant a carrot from a seedling pack from Bunnings like they're just I didn't do carrots they probably come out a bit wonky yeah yeah <laughs> That was really fun, actually. When you guys first moved into your house, I came over with just like my little silly Tupperware of seed packets and just like laid them all out on your counter and was like, plant these here, thin these. Of course, you can listen to any of the instructions on thinning. <laughs> no, I, I just like I, left I, little notes next to all the seed packets. Oh, it was so, so super fun. Yeah, Laura and I have talked so about nice. on um, thinning on the podcast before, and we both like were super hesitant the first few seasons of growing something because they just look so happy. And how can you kill them? But yeah, man, seedlings are adorable. Yeah, but it's a problem. It's a terrible problem. It helps having a rabbit. Yeah, I could see that. I tend to the seedlings as I pull them out of the ground, but uh, rabbits are cuter. Oh, he loves a baby carrot seedling so much. (laughs) Watching him eat, yeah, thinned carrots is pretty cute. Yeah. But yeah, I guess my like my general rule of thumb is if 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 you can grow it from a seed, do so that it, you know if it's not something where you need to extend the season of it, put it in the ground. That's kind of how I feel. Everything ends up growing better. 
but if it's something like a tomato or a pepper, like something that just we don't quite have the full summer for, probably best to start it in a in a tray. Um, those are pretty much the only things I start. Oh, an eggplant, like anything in the nightshade family, I tend to start from seed. But otherwise, I think I, I think I in general put everything else directly in the ground. Occasionally, I'll like um, impulse buy a pack of radicchio from a punnet, even though I know like I could plant it from seed. <laughs> uh, that stuff is hardy. Celery, actually, celery. I grew one celery plant from seed, and then I put six in from um, starts, and now I just have a, an unreasonable amount of celery. It turns out there is no difference between direct sowing and using a start. I just have so much celery. Is there such a thing? Yeah, it turns out there kind of is. <laughs> Except kind of- didn't you do that because you wanted celery seed and so you let it go to seed and then harvest it in? <laughs> um, I did that with dill. Oh, oh, dill. Okay. Oh, that's a good yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't find dill in the shops for a really long time after I moved here. And it's like an essential thing to put in pickles. Mm. And so for my first year and a half here, I just grew a bunch of dill and let it go to seed, which felt um, very um, uh, little house on the prairie. Yeah. My wanna- dill is so happy and it's really, I don't want to do anything to it. And it looks a lot like carrots. Mm, and I just, yeah. I feel like it will have a nice flower and seed. I'm considering letting it go. Let it go. No, you can actually put... Um, You've had the dilly beans at my house, the green beans that are pickled. Oh, they're amazing. So if if done perfectly, like you would actually put a, a flowering um, head of dill, like the flower itself in the bottom of the jar, but I can't get mm. dill to grow. So mine have not, have been without mm. flowers. I'm growing mine in a pot and oh. it's so happy. Like I just sort of sprinkled it into this pot because my poor curry plant, I didn't move out of the frost in time. Oh no. And then I'm still hoping that comes good. But so I had the curry plant pot and I was like, what do I put in here? And one of the only seed packets I hadn't <laughs> opened was the dill. And I was like, nah, I'll give that a crack. And sprinkled it in, forgot about it. And only and we've had so much rain, I haven't had to worry so much about watering. Mm. And then I only noticed it was sprouting when I saw Loki like the rabbit jumping on top of the pot and I'm like what's in there and I'm like, oh no my dill and I like picked him up threw him off and covered it um with a bit of fence like a bit of chicken wire yeah. and now it's so it's so good yeah I guess that that would be in the same family as carrots no wonder Loki liked it he loves it that's really yeah. funny yeah no I haven't had too much success with dill and the other one is cilantro which I finally got to grow like a weed in the garden so, you know, I'll take it or coriander. I was going to say, we, we really should get you back on for another conversation about um, seed saving and your techniques with that. Maybe we could do a bit of a deep dive on that next time. What do you reckon, Laura? Yeah, or you could tell us now. I'll do that. Yeah, tell us now. <laughs> you can edit me in. It's like I'm still here. Um <laughs> Yeah, so it's not hard. I mean, it is hard. There are certain things that are actually super, super hard. I shouldn't say that. Um, Certain things are just stupid easy. And then other things I will probably never do as a home gardener. 
So anything in the Kirkabit family is just fussy as hell and crosses with everything. And just like, you're going to end up with something that is not at all what you wanted. So like a cucumber, I've sort of decided "Mm, not worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, But tomatoes and peppers and eggplants are just super easy because they're mostly self-pollinating and you end up with a pretty good product for, for what it was before. And then, you know, this is, I've never lived in a place long enough to test this theory, but supposedly the, like the more you save seeds, the more adapted they are for your very specific microclimate of your garden, the better they will grow in the future. So, you know, picking the earliest plant or the most delicious plant or the latest fruiting plant, whatever you're looking for in that specific um, plant is the one you pick. Um, tomatoes are so easy. Like the first time I saved tomato seeds, it was like, oh, so I just have to let it sit in its own goo for like two days and then put them on a plate to dry. Cool. And then like still use the rest of the tomato. Great. Okay. It was just really easy. Um, and then there's a lot of like, the thing that's really challenging about gardening in my opinion is that there's just too much on the internet. Like when you turn to the internet for gardening advice and you're like, hmm, how should I save seeds from tomato plants? You'll end up with a thousand different perspectives on the best way to do it. The temperature it should be at like the number of days you should let it ferment before you dry it, just just a lot. But realistically, it, like the easiest way is probably the best way. Just like let it sit in its own tomato goo for two days and then dry it out after washing. That's it. That's so easy. <laughs> it's so easy. And peppers are the same. It's just like let your capsicums or your chilies just like sit on, at least one of them, sit on the vine until they're looking pretty old and maybe a little wrinkly pick them, dry them, or like split them open, take the seeds out, dry them. That's it. It's so easy. Uh, Eggplants are pretty much the same. They're pretty easy. And the fermentation thing makes sense, right? It's just like, what would a tomato do? It would sit and rot. And then like that fermentation kind of helps it. And then it, you know, grows the next year. Mm. So it's just kind of emulating what it would naturally do. Um, Yeah, but like pumpkin and uh, cucumber are a bridge too far. Just because you go through all this trouble to save a seed and then grow it from seed and then like you put weeks and weeks of effort into it to find out that you have like an ornamental gourd is really disappointing. (laughs) So yeah, I think I think I will probably never do that, like the amount of space you need to be able to actually isolate them and um, make sure that you have the exact right species. Cross kilometers, right? Like it's really far. Huge amount of space. Melon is the same. Yeah. So. And if your neighbor has a different melon, it just ruins your whole thing. Oh, Supposedly, uh, lettuce is really easy to do as well. I've never done it myself. Um, but also, if you wanted to like breed different traits into lettuce, it's one of the seeds that is like the easiest and the like it's the fastest to do to like make your own kind with certain colors or shortened adaptations in terms of. Oh, that's quite fun. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that sounds like a good project to do. Like, over uh, well, lettuce grows pretty much all year here, I guess. But yeah, you could come up with some really funky stuff. Yeah, and when you look at seed catalogs, the lettuce varieties are all over the place, and I think that's kind of why, because farmers are just like, well, this one's new. <laughs> Let's give it a name. I just was thinking when you said that the internet is like overwhelming in terms of trap. Right. Oh, the internet! Terrible. So so big, so vast, too much information. These days, 
So I was going to ask. Always using the internet. Too many, too many things on there. What are your favorite? Squash. Mm. (laughs) What are your favorite resources for gardening? And it doesn't have to be internet based. It could be like a book or. Not the internet. Um, I am really, really lucky in that I'm married into a family of an absolute gardening nutcase uh, Mm. like me. So my mother-in-law and father-in-law Collins' parents are just massive gardeners. They have about an acre of land and they grow enough food to feed like everyone on the block. Um, And so it's so, so nice to be able to take a photo of like something that is eating I don't know, a charred leaf or a a silver beet leaf and send it to Kathy and just say like, hi, what is this? These are the holes. Like this is like the little bug squish that I I can see left behind. What do you think? And a lot of it's really different because I live on a different continent. We have different bugs and different things, but like phone a friend with gardening advice is just, there's nothing better. And like, even if she doesn't know, like she'll be able to give me a sense of where to look or yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so that's huge. that is so handy yeah yeah Uh, I feel like that and I often now also get like a lot of random shots of people's plants whether it's like indoor plants or outdoor plants just like what is this what do I do um uh gardening Australia's website is really good Mm. Uh, again because I'm a grumpy old man who hates the internet I love gardening Australia (laughs) I watch it like every week we love gardening Australia here Yeah, we fangirl over Gardening Australia on this podcast pretty hard, so it's fine. <laughs> it's good advice, too, and, like, it's gentle advice. Because that's the other thing is that the thing that bothers me about gardening websites and gardening forums and things like that is that so often people are so sure that they have the way to do it, and that's kind of the case in a lot of hobbies, right? It's like, oh, well, you need to do this, or, like, you need to spend a lot of money on X, or and then people have lots of different opinions on like what you should put on your garden versus not put on your garden. And generally I tend to do organic gardening, but like there's a lot of higher than thou stuff that goes on. It's just like, eh, that's, eh, that's, that's enough. So yeah, I feel like that's something that bothers me, but also um, a lot of seed catalogs that I really like that do open pollinated seeds often also do like tons of advice mm-hmm. uh, as well. So that's another resource that feels more um authoritative than just googling around is actually looking at the people who are growing the vegetables for their seeds like tend to have the most understanding of the full life cycle of the plant I would say rather than other places um and then people who love heirloom seeds again like they could just talk about them forever so you tend to find a lot of information on like wacky plants out there um those those are how do you get your seeds that's what I was gonna say which seed catalogs (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I had a different set when I was in the States. Um, So I like, like everyone, I also will use, um, (laughs) what's the one at Bunnings that Dr. Someone's or Fern Hill? No, it's like the very generic one that you can just kind of find everywhere. I bought some seeds of that brand the other day. I'm trying to remember. Is it Dr. It starts with H maybe, maybe it doesn't. It's Dr. Something. But like, I, it- like anyone else, I'll get a Mr. Father Gill seed pack oh, when I'm at you know, all the time. And they have actually a fairly good variety of things. I was really surprised at how much sprouting broccoli they had. Um, I'm going to say it wrong, but new Gippsland? Gippsland? Gippsland. New Gippsland? 
Thank you for sending <laughs> it for me. Uh, they're, they've been really good. I've been really happy with their seeds and they have kind of interesting varieties as well. Um, and like no fuss packaging. It's pretty vintage, <laughs> vintage internet. Um, not yet, but I've been really happy yeah. with their stuff and all the varieties they have have been really good. I tried a different one recently and wasn't as excited about it, but I won't trash talk anyone. Um, I struggled when I bought seeds from late last year when, um, everyone went garden crazy with the first Mm. lockdown yeah I just found somewhere and um I think the seeds were perfectly good but they were from Queensland and it's just that thing that I don't think they did very well in the cold because they wanted to be in Queensland (laughs) yeah I mean you can find like in the same way that people are like well food from down the road tastes better it's like seeds from your area are generally going to just do better like they're just grown for the conditions yeah that's where things will grow anywhere I mean you put a bean in the ground it'll probably grow mm. or a pea but um yeah some of those like specialty seeds I think are definitely worth getting from nearby mm. but yeah I actually ended up meeting a lot of seed farmers when I lived in Oregon so I had like lots of seed um sources that I really liked but so you can order seeds into Australia but you can't send them out which is really really yeah so I, I haven't done it opposite. yet but I have contemplated it which seems ridiculous but there are like certain like delicata squash seeds I've had trouble finding here and I love a delicata squash and I, I think they could actually do well with the growing conditions in Canberra so eventually if it comes to it I might I'm gonna import some seeds but that feels totally weird I tried to like because I'm trying to get some seeds I don't always want to just raid your seed collection for my garden though it is always my most successful plants um but I googled like seeds canberra to try to get local ones and i only got um links to cannabis seeds nothing else canberra yeah well it is it is our favorite crop (laughs) yeah yeah i was just like come on guys like other people want other kinds of seeds and these google search results are just not letting anyone else show through Yeah, we don't actually have a ton, like we have a nursery district and they generally, one of the things I found really interesting about Australia is that you used to be able to just like drive sort of to a farm, farmy area of the States and invariably there would be like a local nursery and they would grow seeds themselves. But I think the standards on like basically raising seedlings in Australia are super high and regulated. And so you end up seeing like the same the same really large nurseries kind of pumping out most of the seedlings that actually get marketed in Australia. So like a lot of the little seed tags are exactly the same, whether you're at one nursery or another or the farmer's market even grabbing seedlings, like oftentimes it's all from the same place, which is weird. That's been really different for me. It used to be like little mom and pop, like seedling seedling growers were just around. Yeah. Here it seems to be a little bit more tightly, tightly held, probably because of all of the agricultural concerns in Australia. Like it makes sense, but it's a little sad sometimes. Yeah, yeah it doesn't I'm seem good for diversity either. Wow. Yeah. Mm. I didn't even realize that that was a thing, like that people would just sell their own seedlings. Like, but I can totally imagine that now that you say it you know yeah like in the same way that if you stop by like a roadside farm and they have like a little stand of veggies that you can pick up it would just be like the same thing but seedlings you'd like drop some coins in the till or whatever and grab them and go like because I when I was living in Philadelphia especially 
um, like right across the border in New Jersey. There was just tons of places like that. Mm. Um, same in Oregon, actually. It's like a lot of small like seedling and seed producers. Yeah, wow. Cool. That is yeah. cool. Maybe we should start that up. I don't know. It's a, I think it's like regulated, like you were saying, Rachel, like the stuff with um, anything to do with seeds in Australia is kind of high risk, I suppose, if they don't want introduced species or like just vegetables and stuff going crazy in the bush. I mean, yeah, you don't want it. Yeah, and I think yeah. like when I think about some of the agricultural protection laws when you cross into South Australia, like I understand why it's so regulated but it is a little bit of, of a sad thing that there aren't like little mm. tiny purveyors like laura if you go down to pialago you'll find the same mm. thing that rodney is as you will at what's the one up the road um willow grove or whatever it is yeah yeah they, they, have, some, um, they have some pretty good like low-key brown paper bags with handwriting on them at yarra Lomla. oh um and right. but it's a really small little section and i where I got my pickling cucumbers from last year and they were so happy I like a down home seedling it's a seed so I'll have to check yeah oh I should like I would be like totally in the wrong if I didn't talk about libraries that have seed collections and seed libraries like the old card catalog that you used to use to find books Mm -hmm. to like have a community seed bank where people can like save seeds make little envelopes put them in the card catalog and then like check them out by planting them growing them for a year saving the seed and then checking the seeds back in that is amazing are you gonna do that in one of your i'm not on the unfortunately i'm not on the campus of cit that covers horticulture but if i were actually now that i've thought about it i will suggest it yeah but again it was like there was some kind of raid like some sort of homeland security raid of a library in a town in Maine or something. It got a lot of press coverage in the U.S. for being like a biosecurity threat. And all these gardeners were like, really, mate? Like, I don't, I don't think so. (laughs) They're like nerds who want a garden and like libraries. Like, this is not your biggest threat. (laughs) The national security. Maybe it was going to take down capitalism. Yeah, that's how it starts at the library. Yeah, yeah, the seed library. Um, so I think if we're gonna wrap up shortly, um, but oh yeah, so we were gonna ask you that. Yeah, do you prefer chickens or ducks? Do I prefer chickens or ducks? Have you owned both or? I haven't owned both. I was um, in Oregon. One of the fundraisers we did for that nonprofit I worked at was the chicken and duck coop tour, Mm -hmm. um, where we would get people who would volunteer to be a site. And then um, other people in the community, we would like make up maps and we would have workshops at the community garden. And then people could go on like self-guided tours around town of different styles of coops. So I got very familiar with ducks and chickens. To the point where like all of our sponsors knew me as like the chicken lady who kept coming to like ask for support. Um, so that's always what you look for in a new town that you've moved to. Um, I have chickens. I feel like they're really versatile in a smaller space, though Indian runner ducks are like the best thing that exists. So like I don't have them and the idea of having to set up a pond like 
I've always been, a, I also don't own my own home. I am a renter. And I feel like the fact that my landlord lets me get away with chickens happily is so great. You don't want to push it with that. Maybe yeah. someday. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was this one any, uh, Indian runner duck on the tour that had been named by this like five-year-old. <laughs> its name was Lemon Cake. <laughs> ah! It was just the best name for a duck. And then there was this one spot, um, the other, the chicken that was named by the daughter was Cute Face. So those were the two names that I remember, Cute Face and Lemon Cake, the runner duck, and Cute Face was a chicken. And there was this one moment when I walked by the tour, because I was kind of like seeing how it was going that day, where the little boy was holding Cute Face above his head. And there was a crowd, like seven people deep, like it was like a rock concert, like all there for Cute Face, like asking him lots of questions. It's pretty great. <laughs> resounding success yeah so I guess the verdict is that you can't really decide because Indian runner ducks are good (laughs) they're so good I'm sorry that's a terrible response I also don't have ducks so it feels inauthentic to say that I would choose ducks (laughs) I also prefer ducks I just I think chickens slot into like backyard a bit easier Yeah. yeah there's like an easier commitment I think yeah if I had a dam, I would have ducks. Yeah. And chickens. I live near a river with perfect soil. I too would have ducks. <laughs> um, I mean, to be fair, our pond is just one of those kitty shell pools that I tip out over the veggie patch every morning and fill up. So you don't have to go too high tech. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, again, the landlord would probably actually be fine with it. It's just a, for some reason, like when water is involved, it just seems like it more. changes things. Yeah, it is more. Yeah. <laughs> I always feel like I want the ducks to be able to fly. And I guess that's just because I see ducks in the wild more often and they fly and I'm like, oh, well, they're, they're flying. But I guess my chickens would probably prefer to be able to fly as well. So I just don't see them in the wild. <laughs> you don't have any male ducks, do you? Yeah, we have one male duck. Yeah. Is it, Is it horrifying? Hmm? Is it horrifying? No, he's tiny. He's a little cold duck. So... Um, he at the moment still have a corkscrew penis I wasn't gonna say it but horrifying the ballistic penis is just a horrifying thing we try not to look too closely at that but um he has (laughs) like a little aggressive the last few weeks since the girls have started laying and I'm out in the yard like looking for their eggs and he knows I'm looking for their eggs and he gets the closest to me that he's ever got like you know within a meter he's just standing and staring at me and hissing but he doesn't do anything more than that. Like if I walk towards him, he runs away. He's he's a pushover. But um, that's good. That's good that you have aggressive, but not too aggressive. <laughs> and he's in yeah, like so. so little. Like he's a miniature duck, so it's not it's not a problem. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, and I was going to say for your time today, but for your time over the past several years of <laughs> gardening advice and seeds and, uh, well, you and guys have inspiration. Totally- beautiful garden um it's like really immaculate and well put together but yeah our guiding principle in the garden is what would Rachel do (laughs) (laughs) it it really is I really appreciate when you guys phone a friend because I feel like I do that with so many people especially with Kathy my mother-in-law that it's like it's nice to be able to like return that (laughs) to someone else occasionally when you need it yeah it's so nice and I um I think it's nice, uh, like, sometimes you just need to be one season ahead of somebody 
because you you learn season to season and so I it's I've got friends now saying like oh what what do I do with this in spring or like when can I put the tomatoes and I'm like well from my failure last year I can <laughs> tell you it's also really nice like I kind of think of your house as a living seed bank mm. Like, I know I'm going to give you plants and that like someday when I move, if something, if I transplant one from my garden here and it dies, like I've given you an artichoke for safekeeping and I know it's going to multiply and maybe I'll like take a crown back in a couple of years. Actually, I have some rhubarb for you. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really nice. I think the communal aspect of gardening is something I didn't really understand was there before, but it's such a big part of it. And it's yeah. It's so nice. And it's one of the reasons we have decided to have a little podcast to chat about it with other people. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. It was really nice. Thank you. Yeah. Nice to meet you. We we should all go eat dinner if we haven't already. Okay. (laughs) Thanks again, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. Bye. Have a good night.